0: What is up, Joey McLaughlin here. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Stone Creek, Elevate City, random guy who just saw this on their Facebook news feed. So pumped that you're here. Edward or Jacob or whatever your name is. Am I just naming Twilight characters? because I've been quarantined way too long. What is wrong with me? Hey, do me a big favor right now. Share this stream. I know you may have already shared it once earlier in the service. That's great. Share this thing again. We are living in some crazy, unprecedented times. And I believe there is someone out there who you, not me, who you are connected to, who needs this word today, who needs this truth today. And they're not gonna see it unless you share it. There's really no limit to the potential impact of you personally sharing this sermon. Think about it for a second. You might share it, then someone else might share it, then who knows might see it. The next Billy Graham may be waiting on you to share this service right now. Check it out, I believe this so deeply that I'm gonna issue a little challenge. Are you ready? You're not ready, are you ready? I'll let you finish that bite of Fruity Pebbles first. It's okay, it's my favorite cereal, I get it. All right, you listening? If this sermon, if this stream gets shared 1,000 times, 1,000 unique times, I will get a tattoo while I preach my next sermon. Yo, that is either commitment or the Corona crazies talking, okay? Like I will literally sit here, preach the word of God, cry like a little baby while someone threads a needle full of ink through my skin and figure out a way to tie it all together to teach the Bible, proclaim the gospel and help you fall more in love with Jesus while I get tattooed. Come on, somebody. That that would be a church service you would never forget. And neither would I, for obvious reasons, I'd have a tattoo on my body. Now, for all of you ladies wondering out there who are worried, like, did he get his wife's approval, like, Yes, I did, okay? She just vetoed any and all face tats. Like, um, no face tats for me. If you got one, no judgment. I'm sure it looks great on you. I just don't possess the right facial structure for face tats, I I just don't got it. But guys, let's tap into the power of multiplication, the power of virality. Share this stream. I believe someone desperately needs it today. You know what? I believe the church, not just our church, but the church desperately needs this today. Let me read our text for the day. It comes from the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter one says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, how good is that? Like so little can be promised right now, am I right? Like no one can promise you when things are gonna get back to normal. No one can promise you what's gonna happen to the economy. No one can promise you that you're not gonna catch the coronavirus. No one can promise you or guarantee you that someone you know and love isn't going to lose their life to this thing. But I can promise you this, that life, real life, eternal life is found in the person of Jesus Christ. I don't know where you've been looking or what kind of empty guarantees you've been banking on, but in a world full of so much uncertainty, I'm certain of this, that life is found in Jesus. Doctors are trying their best, but they can't promise life. There is no president or presidential candidate or government strategy that will save us from this thing. Some stimulus check can't solve all your problems, and in and escaping into another episode of Netflix can't guarantee to numb the pain. But I promise you this, that the life you've been searching for, the life you've been looking for is found in the person of Jesus. Guys, I'm preaching a sermon today before I ever preach my sermon today, okay? Life is found in Jesus. Second Timothy chapter two. 2 Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, And peace from God, the father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I wanna preach a timely message for you today titled, The Church Has Left the building. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless these moments that we share together. God, that as we meet, not in temple courts, not in a church building, but from house to house, that you would bless this time. God, that you would use this time, that you would stir something up within us, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe, and that sitting on our couches or surrounded um, around our kitchen tables or huddled up around a phone, that we would hear the word of God today in a way that changes us in a way that stretches us and in a way that draws us closer to the heart of Jesus and the heartbeat of God for his church. And I ask it in his beautiful name and all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, so here's the story. Um, A couple of weeks ago, I was preaching at our first Elevate City nights online, which are these vision preview nights for the campus that we're launching in Sandy Springs. And uh, during my message, I said this phrase. I said, the church has left the building and we can't come back the same. The next day we were all in a meeting and Stephen and several of the other pastors on staff were like, that's our next series. Like we need to do a whole series on the fact that the church has left the building and that we don't need to come back the same. Does anyone else feel that? Does anyone else have this sense that the spirit of God may be up to something? that this may be the perfect moment for the church of Jesus to experience unparalleled transformation, needed rejuvenation. Like I'm even throwing out words like movement or renewal, resurgence, even revival. You know, this phrase was first made famous, not talking about the church, but talking about Elvis Presley. In the mid 1950s at the height of Elvis mania, the king of rock and roll was selling out rock venues and stadiums all over the country. And this trend started to happen. It started to take place at almost every Elvis concert. Crowds and crowds of people would just stand for over an hour after the concert was over, just waiting and chanting for Elvis to come back on stage for an encore. It was causing all sorts of problems. So much commotion, just having this crowd, just standing there yelling, waiting for Elvis to come back out on stage. And then on December 15th, 1956, after Elvis had played a sold out show in Shreveport, Louisiana, where the same scene had occurred. After the show, everybody's standing there, just waiting, chanting for Elvis to come back out on stage. Famed concert promoter, Horace Logan, he grabs a microphone He gets up on stage and he says, all right, all right, Elvis has left the building. And it was only then that all of the crowds of people just standing around waiting on Elvis began to move. And I just wonder, could it be that the church leaving the building is the very thing that can cause the church to move once again? Could us leaving the church building? Could us getting outside the walls of the church remind us of what the church is really supposed to be like in the first place? What if an empty building meant a more active church? Come on, we all know that the church was never supposed to be about a physical building. It's supposed to be about a spiritual kingdom It's a movement, ecclesia was the word, the called out ones, followers of the way. Church wasn't meant to be a place that you went, it was meant to be a people you were a part of where the name of Jesus is elevated, where the ways of Jesus are practiced and where the message of Jesus is boldly proclaimed. What if leaving the building was the beginning of a movement for the people of God? You know, some people say that the opposite is gonna take place. I was reading an article this week that was talking about the effects of the coronavirus and us not meeting together physically and the effect that that could have on the church eventually. Check it out. This is what this article said. This article said, um, church services in much of the world are closed off to larger congregations, which may lead many to lose the habit of regular worship. This lack of continuity could be the death knell for the religious practice of some. Those who spend all their time in church just thinking about Sunday brunch or that evening's football game and do not recall the scripture readings or the sermon even immediately after walking out of church may walk away for good. It might force people to really ask some deeper spiritual questions. What is the church and what is community? Are you asking yourself those questions? I think you should. Should I come back? Is it worth it? Is faith working? Is church working? Is Jesus working in my life? You know why I'm not afraid of those questions? You know why I'm not afraid to ask those questions? Because I'm not afraid of the answers. I'm excited about the action that those answers may produce and the way that it may cause us to reevaluate some things. You know, the book of 2 Timothy is so perfect for this conversation. Now, this is really interesting. So try to follow me on this, okay? So the Apostle Paul, one of the first early Christian church planners, um, he leaves the Ephesian church, get it? Church has left the building. Paul leaves the Ephesian church. you making the connections. All right, so Paul leaves the Ephesian church and he winds up in prison, unable to go to church, meet physically with the church. Sound familiar where we're at today? Social distancing, can't meet together physically. Him because of prison, us because of a pandemic, right? Making the connections. And so Paul writes a letter to his apprentice Timothy, who is now pastoring the Ephesian church, which, hey, parents, like it or not, you're pastoring a little church called your family. Hello, spiritual wake-up call right there. More on that in a second. And throughout Paul's letter to his apprentice, Timothy, this is why this letter is just gonna be so perfect for this conversation. The prevailing message is this. You can't stay the same. The church has left the building and you can't stay the same. Y'all check out how relevant this is, okay? This is what Paul writes. He says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Anybody else longing to see somebody right now? I am longing to see some people right about now. Like, I don't know about y'all, but I'm like sitting out like in the window of my like, you know, the the, the one that faces the street in my house. And I'm like watching random strangers like walk past my house. And I'm like waving to them like the Miss America patchet. Like, I don't know you, but I'm happy to see you, you know? Y'all feel me? Like this is where I'm living right now because I miss people. I want the joy of people. Anybody's joy bank a little low these days from being parked at the isolation station? (laughs) Like this is where Paul and Timothy are living. They can't see each other because Paul's in prison. Timothy is in Ephesus. They are socially distanced and and they're separated and they desperately want to see each other. And we're experiencing a similar situation. But I want to note something where we might not quite be the same. Let's read verse three again. It says this, it says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Yo, have any of you guys seen this post? Any of y'all seen this post pop up on, on, on your social media feed? All caps, bold, need new TV show. Ran out of things to binge watch. Please make recommendations. Any of y'all seen this, this post pop up? All right, let's be real. Like this, any of y'all posted this, okay? Like you've been the ones who have posted this, been like, I don't know what to watch. Please, somebody help me, all right? Like, like listen, I want you to know, I'm not trying to throw shade. This is a no judgment jo- zone. Um, I watched Tiger King in a day too, okay? And uh, The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, is seriously making me contemplate trying out for the Atlanta Hawks when this is all said and over. Um, be nice in the comment section, okay? Be nice in the comment section. But hey, can we just be real and say that one of the first things that needs to change for the church when we come back is how much we pray? Yeah. There needs to be this seriousness about prayer, this focus on prayer that if I'm being real, feel so lost on so many of us. We're more concerned with TV shows than we are prayer. It's just, it's mind blowing. But do you know what the beauty of adversity is, is that it reminds us of our dependency. The beauty of adversity is that it reminds us of our dependency, check it out, prayerlessness, what it is at its core is pride. When we don't pray, what we're intrinsically saying is, I don't need you, God, I got this. But in extreme adversity, when we don't know what to do and we know that we don't got this, i.e. Paul in prison, us in the coronavirus, church is not being able to meet in person, it drives us to prayer. It gets us in touch with our dependency on God. And that's where the power is found. It's in our weakness that he is made strong. You know, if you will study church history, you will quickly discover this consistent trend The most significant seasons of church growth almost always happen in unconventional times. Suffering, persecution, famine, disease. Why? Because it's in difficulty that people wake up to their inability. We humans consistently get sucked in and caught up in this rut of thinking that we can do life on our own. You don't believe me? See, Eden, Egypt, Exodus, Peter, when he stepped out of the boat, took his eyes off of Jesus, pretty much the entire Bible. If I'm being honest, much of my relationship with Jesus, where I try to live life in my own strength without the power of God. But when true extreme adversity hits, it has a way of waking us to our need for God, our need for his power, our need for his presence, and our need for his ways to the point that we begin to abandon our way of doing things, to the point that we begin to draw back near to God and he begins to bless his church once again. This is the reason that adversity unleashes revival. And I really believe this, don't miss this, that prayer is the fertilizer of revival. Prayer is the fertilizer of revival. Let me prove it to you. Book of Matthew. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Notice verse 38, right? Jesus heals every disease and every affliction, adversity. But then he says what? The harvest is plentiful, opportunity. So pray earnestly, We have found ourselves in great adversity. I believe that it's great opportunity for us to pray earnestly for God to do something that's beyond what we could ever imagine. What if posts weren't, what can I watch, but how can I pray for you? What if we spent half the time praying that we did binging or Zooming or whatever? Our seriousness about prayer has got to change if we wanna be a church that's bigger than a building. We've got to start to be a church that prays like we mean it. Like, this is why we're praying at four o'clock every day. Four o'clock, from four to 404, the Atlanta area code, this is just the beginning. Prayer is paving the way for change, for breakthrough, for healing. And I want to challenge you. Pray as much as you watch TV this week. Listen, I know that that could feel like such a big starting place, that it feels overwhelming that you do nothing, but... But if taking baby steps into the pool isn't working to get a kid swimming, sometimes you just gotta throw them in the deep end. You know what I'm saying? Like that may be terrible parenting advice, but uh, I think that there's some spiritual truth to it. If, hey, you just pray for a minute a day and see how that goes, isn't actually causing your faith to catch on fire. Maybe you need to start praying so much that your heart begins to change because you're just so wrapped up in it. You pray and you pray and you pray and you pray like you've never prayed before. What if we came back as that kind of church who believed in the power of prayer? Check out this next part. It keeps going, keeps getting better. Verse five. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Hey, here's a way that I know that church needs to change when we come back. Parents, parents, Your passions are are passing to your kids, like it or not. Your passions are passing to your kids, like it or not. You you wanna know why someone cheers for the team that they do? Ask them, they'll go, my mom went there. My dad grew up a fan. You see what's happening there? And do you see what happened in Timothy? Faith is getting passed down. Are we doing a good job of passing down our faith to our kids? What kind of faith are you passing down to your kids? Paul says there was this sincere faith, this authentic faith, this genuine, this real faith. What words would someone remember about your faith? What will your mentor and your pastor and your coworkers and your friends and your kids remember about your faith? I remember your religious, automated, stagnant, boring, staying inside a building, hypocritical kind of faith? I can tell you this, many of us need a faith that moves from sincerely to sincere. Like y'all remember when you learned how to write letters when you were a little kid? Y'all remember this, right? This is the way that it would work is you'd learn how to structure the letter and it would be like, dear Mima, right? Comma, So how it always start. Dear Meemaw, comma, go down the line, right? Mima, I want you to know, I think you're great, period. Your house smells really weird, period. Y'all know about that old people house smell, okay? Let's just be real, okay? But your lasagna is the best, period. Can't wait for more socks at Christmas, period. Sincerely, Dave, right? I don't know why Dave. Sincerely, Dave, right? This is how we would learn to write letters, right? Every letter that you learn to write, at the end you would write, sincerely, 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 sincerely. And the last thing that you were was what? Sincere. (laughs) And I wonder, I just really wonder if many of us have gotten in the habit of practicing of a faith or doing church in a way that looks right, but isn't actually sincere. Have you learned to have a sincerely faith that has no sincerity at all? We need real faith right now, authentic faith, genuine Jesus following, a seriousness about God, a sincerity about the kingdom of God. A broken world doesn't need fake followers. Plastic belongs in the trash. Like while we're out of the building, let's just throw out every bit of plastic faith that we might have. Let's leave it there and begin to really wrestle with the things of God. Begin to really wrestle once again with who God is and who we are and what following Jesus really means for me and for my family and for my career and for my finances. Let's get a faith that weasels its way into every area of our life and into all of our conversations. One that isn't religious, but real, that isn't automated, but that is activated. One that isn't passive, but powerful. We need genuine, sincere, authentic faith. Can we come back with that? The world is tired of us selling them a show they're tired of us selling them just another sermon and just another gimmick and just another series. What they need is real people, really following God, really in the trenches of life, trying to live this thing out. All right, y'all, that was, just, that was just the appetizer, okay? I'm about to drop the main course on you. This is what Paul says. This is how he brings this letter to a close. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately that everybody is all worried because the church has left the building, but nobody said a word when passion left the church. It's like obedience. Devotion to the scriptures, real mission, a seriousness about God walked right out the door and nobody even noticed. We can't sit next to each other. Ah! Nobody's sharing the gospel though. Shh. Fan into flame the gift of God. Um, there's this passion that is supposed to be so connected to, to faith, this burning passion passion that is supposed to be there that feels so absent in so many of us, not just in our church services, but in our lives individually and the way that we talk about God and the way that we share about what's going on in our life, it just seems to be so missing. But the call is to fan into flame the gift of God. Hey, have you ever tried to start a fire? You ever tried to start a fire? You ever failed to try to start a fire? I've I've definitely made my mistakes and not been able to start a fire, lost my man card, had to cut it up, shred it, you know. (laughs) But But starting a fire is really interesting. And if you wanna start a fire, um, you'll do whatever it takes to get that fire started, right? To to fan it into flame. Like when you're desperate for a fire, you'll do some things to get that fire going. You'll do the air thing. Y'all ever seen that bellow thing? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Where people are just bellowing to get the fire going. You ever seen somebody like, you're just shaking something, just like trying so hard. (sighs) Anybody passed out trying to blow on a fire before? Or, or have you ever done this? You ever gonna like blow on a fire and you go, <gasps> and then you breathe in all of the embers, you get it in you? You do all this stuff to try to get a fire started, don't you? To fan something into flame. You see, um, in the first century, um, fire building was something that was essential for them. It was, it was essential for them. They knew that they needed to fan things into flame because without a fire, they weren't going to be able to live they weren't gonna be able to live. They needed a fire for food. They needed a fire for warmth. They needed a fire for protection. They needed a fire for all of these things. And so they knew that they would just keep a fire burning. And what Paul says to Timothy is, I would remind you to fan into flame and that feels so real for him. But I wonder if some of us never knew that we were actually gonna have to fan the fire of our faith. Like you don't need to be reminded, but you need to be told for the first time that your faith will need fanning that this is gonna be a consistent thing. You're confused because the fire, the passion, the love, the urgency went out on your faith. But what you didn't realize is that the fire of your faith is always gonna go out if you don't keep fanning. If you don't keep fanning. They got this, they understood this. This was such common practice for them. You see, for us, like we press a button, we turn a knob, we strike a match, fire. It just happens instantly for us. And way too many of us think that faith works that way too. Yeah. That you could just come to some church service and your heart's gonna get set on fire. That you've done nothing. You've let your, your faith unattended. Like you've let it get like rained on, poured on, like got some mold on it. It's crusty. It's like real dry. And you think one church service is gonna set that thing on fire. One church service, one hour a week in a building. Absolutely not. We must, we've got to begin to adopt a way of living and a lifestyle. We must put things in our schedules and in our priorities and in the way that we spend our time where we constantly and consistently fan the fire of our faith. We fan so much, we fan our finances and we fan our marriage if you care about it at all. And you fan the development of your kids. Like you're, you're, you're doing these things to keep things going. What are you doing to keep your faith going? To keep your soul going? I've got to wonder today, is there any fire within you? Is there any fire within you for your neighbors, for your friends, for your family, who let me just get real for a second are gonna spend all of eternity in what Jesus calls a lake of fire if they don't know him? Hey, I'm gonna slow it down. Death is real. We are maybe as in touch with our mortality and the fragility of the human experience as we'll ever be. Kobe Bryant, hall of famer, elite athlete. Fragile, check. Jack Welsh, business guru, multi-billionaire. Fragile, check. Global pandemic, everybody's afraid, nobody's safe. Fragile, check intrinsically right now, we all know that this world is not as it should be and that death is real. And can, can I take it up just a notch? I know that you're in touch with your morality, but are you in touch with the reality of eternity? Death is real and so is heaven and so is hell and people are going there. And if we don't have fire in our faith to spread the good news, to, to be the church, and we're gonna find ourselves in trouble. Tell me what more could a broken world use than a powerful church? A church who can right this broken world, a church who can energize an economy, who can feel depleted families, who can love the lonely. You know that isolation is like at an all time high right now. Like this lack of connection is wreaking havoc on our culture. There was a, um, a report that came out recently that says divorce rate in uh, China is through the roof right now. It's because people have been isolated into these relationships and their marriages now are just in disarray because they, they, they weren't fanning the flame of their marriage in the first place. And so now they're isolated and they're lonely and there's arguments and frustration and tension and it's, it's dark. I want you to know that that's a perfect opportunity for us to be loved. God has called us to love with extravagant, sacrificial, bold, unrivaled, otherworldly, unconventional love. And there's gonna be such a short window of opportunity for us to be this kind of church, a powerful church, for us to not have a spirit of fear, but a a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. Notice this, notice that it says that God has not given you a spirit of fear. Now you have a spirit of fear, and I have a spirit of fear. That just wasn't given to you by God. It was given to you by the world, it was given to you by the enemy, it was given to you by some lies that you have believed about culture and success, but God has given us a spirit of power, of love and of self-control to step into this moment right here, right now. Don't let fear win. Fan the flame of your faith and let it rise up. Let us leaving change us to the point that we can't come back the same. In um, 2009, I'll close with this, I took my first mission trip to Africa and uh, leaving the American church, seeing church around the world and seeing poverty and seeing real passion for God, seeing people pray for hours in a church service, seeing literally a church service being an all day affair. Um, it, it changed me. It was in leaving that I was changed. I've never been the same. And I pray that the same is true for us. You know, at the top of my message today, I mentioned some articles that were raising the question whether this virus and social distancing and the church leaving the building would be the death of Christianity. But history teaches us a different lesson. History teaches us that it's foolish to write off religion. Um, in this book called The Everlasting Man, G.K. Chesterton. He talks about how shocking it was that after the age of enlightenment, there was followed this explosion of revival um, in the form of the uh, the Orthodox movement and the French Catholic revival. Um, And it was, he said, as confounding to most people as a river, this is so cool, as a river turning backwards from the sea and trying to climb back into the mountains. Christian history, Chesterton says, is not linear, but cyclical. The church seems all but exhausted, then it bursts into life again. And I believe that the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, not just the building called church is getting ready to burst into life again. Will the coronavirus be the virus that kills the church or will it be the match that sets her on fire? Has your faith been locked up in a building? Has your Christianity been confined to an hour of the week or a meeting space or a gathering on Sunday morning? Have you forgotten to fan the flame of this faith that is full of power and full of love and full of self-control? I wanna remind you to start today. Revival is coming. Stay tuned. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for these moments that we share. And I know that there are some people right now who feel this so deeply, who feel this sense of opportunity and this sense of urgency, who feel like we may be at a great crossroads where the church could rise up once again. And Jesus, we just beg you for that. We pray that you would bless your bride, that you would bless your people. God, that we would return to you God, that we would repent of our sin, God, that we would turn away from our distraction and that we would run to Jesus. God, I pray for something that feels unprecedented, that feels impossible and that feels miraculous to take place, not just in our church, God, but in churches all over the world. I pray that a great unity would happen, that we would come together with common belief that the world is desperate for love and that we've got the love that they are looking for. His name is Jesus and he loves you. Whoever you are, wherever you're watching today, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you that God is crazy about you, that grace is real, that he's paid your debt, that the guilt and that the sin and that the shame that you feel, you don't have to feel it anymore because he felt it all on the cross on your behalf. And I know that there's some of you who fanning the fire of your faith right now feels so foreign because the flame has never been lit. And I just wanna give you an opportunity today if you want to experience the thing that sets your soul on fire, that brings meaning to your life, if you want, uh, I can promise you this, I can guarantee you this, if you wanna know what life is all about, give your life to Jesus today. I'm gonna invite you to pray this, a simple declaration. Jesus, I need you. I so desperately need you. In this broken world, in these confusing times, I need an eternal God. I know that I've sinned. I know I've tried to do life on my own, but I know that life only works with you. I believe you paid my debt on the cross. I believe you rose again from the grave. I surrender my life to you today and ignite the fire of my faith. Pray prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that right now, wherever you are in a living room, in a coffee shop, at your home, around a table, I'm just going to, I'm going to count to three and I'm just going to ask you to make this declaration just to raise your hand, raise your hand or drop a hand emoji in the comment section to say, hey, the fire of my faith is being ignited for the first time today. I'm going all in. I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm tired of living in the darkness. I'm tired of living in the cold. I'm tired of living in fear. I'm tired of living all alone. I want the fire that God promises. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Amen and amen and amen. I believe that God is working in homes all over our state, all over our city, potentially all over the world right now. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in today. Make sure if you wanna take a next step to drop some love in the comments section, any question that you have, feel free to ask it there. If you need somebody to pray for you, write that in the comments section and our team will reach out to you today. I'm gonna invite you to stand as we spend some time worshiping and asking God to feel the fire of our faith. Let's worship together.